1: Hi, welcome everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto and I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a totally great show coming up today. I'm really looking forward to it, uh, largely because today uh, joining me for this show is my very special guest, Chris Jepsen. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Marie. Good to be here. I'm so glad you could come. Uh I remember very distinctly remembering you, but uh, I remember you very distinctly rather from uh, the time that you attended my comprehensive course in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's
2: right, last fall.
1: It was. And just as I was uh, going into the kitchen today, we have a little kitchenette in our office and we have pictures all over the place of all people from, uh, you know, courses from one end of the country to the other, but lo and behold, I noticed that just as I was walking into the kitchenette, there is your picture, and it was such a great picture of you, (laughs) and I thought, oh, wow, I'm so glad that she's going to be on the show tonight. I know that you're here to share with us some ideas and hints and trials and tribulations and ultimately a wonderful success of breastfeeding a baby whom you adopted. That's right, yeah. Let me start out by just cluing my listeners in here to the difference between relactation and induced lactation. Most of the time when I have seen the literature on relactation, what they really mean is that somebody has lactated previously. And I know that that's the case of what you're going to talk with us about today. Induced lactation is really a little different. Induced lactation is generally a term that is used to mean something different. It really means that the woman has never lactated. And the fact of the matter is she certainly may be able to lactate for Say for an adopted child, which of course is your situation, but really that's a little bit different because she doesn't necessarily have the um, the breast development that a woman would have after she is lactated. That is, you, in fact, because you are relactating or you were relactating, um, you would have much more lobular tissue much more ductular tissue and so forth and that gives you the advantage so for those people who may be listening i would just want to sort of help them to understand that your experience while absolutely inspiring is not necessarily a duplication of the kind of experience they will have had or they might have if they have um never lactated before so let's start out a little bit by telling us um you had an adopted baby and tell us a little bit about did you plan for this baby did you know when the baby was coming or did you get you know a few hours worth of uh notice that you had to pick him up at the airport or kind of how, what was your notice about the fact that you had a baby coming? Right.
2: Well, we were working with an adoption agency in Albuquerque and had been told, don't expect to um, be really adopting or having a baby in arms for probably minimum of a couple of years, that it really takes a little while. And so we got all our ducks in a row, and our older son, we had had a child um, who was going on four at the time that all this was happening. Um, We got everything in a row, and we worked with the adoption agency, had home visits, and put together a whole album, um, and finished the process um, in the summer of 1995, and we're told that, well, let us know, this is before cell phones, you need to give us a schedule anytime you're out of town, that you're not going to be available through your work number um, or home number, and um, so we went on vacation, I went to a wedding, and um, while we were there visited a family, an old friend of mine, and she ran out to the car when we drove up and said... The adoption agency called, and there's a birth mom who Uh who has selected you. So we basically had, we we then drove home, you know, with time to spare. She was due in two months um, and met her um, at the adoption agency. She actually asked if I was thinking I would like to breastfeed, which was a very considerate and thoughtful um, of her. She had known about that possibility, and um, I said, yes, I really would which I think really helped her to um, think yes. that we would be good parents. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, clearly yeah. that was a priority for her. It
2: was. It was. Yes. Um, well, so on the way home from, this is a long drive from the East Coast to um, the Albuquerque area. Um, I thought, well, I would known a little bit about breastfeeding. It, it's, you know, I work in a maternal child area anyway. So I thought, well, I'm just going to massage my breast while I'm driving in the late night shift of driving and, Lo and behold, I I got milk with the first sort of attempt at doing a little massage. I think there was definitely wow. a mind over matter. I uh, yes, yeah, I was. I there were just tiny little um, excretions. Sure. So yeah. I thought, hmm. I really don't want to get this going too much if I don't have a baby. I think that would be really hard.
1: Yes, uh, yes. So then, How among, amazing that you could do the, the massage in the car without really <laughs> even thinking too much about it. And you're <laughs> kind of like, oh, let's see how this works, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, wow. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so
2: it was just two months after we finished the, the adoption process, which I I know is pretty unusual. We were, I think it was just the right match. We we have a relationship with with Willie's birth mom, and she's lovely. Oh,
1: wow. Uh, I was, I'm inspired by that story, but it tells me part of the, Other question that I had prepared for you, which is, what was your motivation to breastfeed? And it sounds like part of your motivation was that you had breastfed another baby very successfully and happily, Mm -hmm. and that now you've got the birth mother actually raising the question about whether or not you'd like to breastfeed. So that's got to be a motivator. Sure. hard to imagine any other motivators that could be as powerful, but were there other kinds of things on your mind, Chris? You know, I, I think
2: maybe more than the having breastfed my first son and, and, and all of that, I'm a um, dietician and really appreciate the first food of breast milk and um, knew the benefits of breast milk and continue to learn more of the benefits of breast yes. milk. Um, yes. But, you know, I think that it was also really about the bond, um, maybe more than anything. I, I just yes. felt like, gosh, I knew what the bond had been with my first son, and I couldn't imagine not being able to have that relationship. I, I don't know how it would have been if it had not been successful, because I, I think that... Um, truly was an incredible part of my early relationship with uh, my second son as well.
1: Chris, I know that so many women will sometimes say, I knew that I wanted to adopt a baby, I knew I had enough love in my heart, etc., but I didn't know if I would ever be able to love that baby as much as a baby that I'd actually uh, been pregnant with. Do you think that in forming the bond through breastfeeding, do you feel like that helps kind of fill that, that empty spot there? Oh, absolutely. And
2: oh, wow. I, I, I know this wasn't a question that you've asked, but um, I would say that um, other women I know that have adopted children, that, that in retrospect, what I know now about even just skin-to-skin time, I think that there are physical, physiological benefits to it, but... Um, just holding holding baby close and, and having the baby uh, adjust to this adopted mom's um, pheromones and you know the everything yes. that's happening uh, physically and I think uh, all of the senses that are stimulated by that really help to make a bond I think all around with that with with the adopted dad and with the adopted mom so
1: and Chris I can't uh, help but ask here I know that when you came to my comprehensive course you were and are a dietician, but I also know that you're a registered nurse. Right. Were were you both an RN and an RD when you adopted the baby? Uh, I I was, I was. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
2: I actually was was working in a clinic for um, pregnant and parenting teens in Albuquerque. It was a school-based clinic, part of the public school system up there and uh i I have to say that um the the teenagers I was working with knew that I had not gone through a pregnancy had lots of questions and um yes. i I actually got to bring my baby for the first few months um, to work in um, that that site and I think it was rewarding for all of us to be able to share the experiences and talk about adoption in an open way um, to young pregnant pregnant girls and you know, people that had maybe
1: considered the option but hadn't yes. known how it might be, they could talk about that too. So, And, you know, clearly you are so easy to talk with, or I wouldn't have asked you on the show. <laughs> okay. And so I'm sure that you have really had a wonderful opportunity to be able to, to talk with those moms. Uh I, I'm, how how did your friends and your family and maybe your doctor react when you said you were going to breastfeed an adopted baby? How did that work out?
2: You know, I had known, um, I, I was actually working with a midwife who had adopted children, um, and we talked a bit about it. She had not been pregnant, had not breastfed a baby before, and um, Really was encouraging. Yeah, um, even though her situation wasn't as successful as mine, um, she was. She did lots of skin to skin and actually had baby at breast with supplemental systems for about six weeks. And I think that um, though it, it didn't turn out to be successful in terms of producing um, milk supply, that um, just you know what what she how she talked about it and how she supported it was wonderful. And um, I think that. I uh, certainly friends were really supportive. I had a another midwife friend of mine who came with me the first time that I sort of got got my my son latched on, and it was a little cumbersome. It was I needed some extra hands for sure, Um, and and that was a, a special friend who could sort of guide things in while I was holding baby, and um, it really made a difference to have somebody who was willing to just be right there. Uh, there for get, you. Yeah, getting yes. things all attached. I guess. I feel like my pediatrician could have been more supportive, and, and maybe that would have just looked like, I'm, I'm just so proud that you're doing this. You know, uh-huh. in, in oh. retrospect, um, I think about the Adopted moms I've worked with since then, and just um, really given them kudos
1: because it's it's
2: yes. extra work. It's hard at first. It's hard to get just, started.
1: <laughs> just a quick question before we go to break, Chris. In general, did you feel supported uh, by, for your decision? Oh yes. Yes oh, yes
2: I, I think anybody who I mention it to um it's a motivating factor frequently for for people who are struggling with breastfeeding
1: um, so and would you say that motivation was a major piece in your success? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the the literature says that over and over. You look at the studies and they always, uh, well, I don't know about always, but very frequently talk about how important motivation is. Wow, this has been so enlightening, Chris, stay with us. Everybody else, mothers around the world, we are in many countries and continents. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this short break.
0: Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Galler We'll help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby-Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides, with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Thank you so much for joining me at Born to Be Breastfed. My special guest today is Chris Jepson. Chris is a registered nurse. She is also a registered dietitian, and she is also the mother of an adopted baby. Chris was telling us in the first segment that she adopted her baby and was able to take her baby home with her within 24 hours of when he was born and that one of the things that was kind of a motivator for her and a feel good for the birth mother is that the birth mother wanted to know if Chris was going to breastfeed and of course Chris having breastfed a baby earlier was very eager to do that and she ended up the segment by talking to us about the fact that she, she did feel supported in her decision uh, by her friends and so forth uh, and she also gave a resounding yes when I said to her, was motivating was motivation a major factor because I've seen that so much in life as well as in the professional literature. So Chris, give us just a little twenty second uh, view of what was that first breastfeeding like when you first put the baby to breast.
2: I think it was probably a little teary. I couldn't,
1: <laughs> I couldn't uh-huh. believe he actually latched on right away. Oh, how great.
2: Oh, how great. <laughs> and I and think I described I had a, a friend who was a um, midwife who was really there helping me get started. Um, and we, we had a supplemental system in place. Actually, I used the, the lactate rather than another system called the SNS or Supplemental huh? Nursing System.
1: Um, just, let me just stop for a moment for those. Of listeners who might not be familiar, Chris is talking about a little device where you put milk, either your own milk or formula or whatever, into uh, this sort of container. And then the tubes are uh, like taped onto the breast, and then the baby suckles both the tube and the mother's breast. So he's suckling both things at once, gives stimulation to the mother's nipples, but it also helps the baby to get some reward for suckling. So tell us about using the the supplementer, Chris.
2: Well, so I I have to say this is a good time to introduce how helpful my partner was. Um, Uh My husband really was the one who put these you know with prepare every night for the the supplemental systems we we it it requires washing little tubes yep. out and yep. um, <laughs> mixing formula um but we use the supplemental system. For about the first six months. And I, just being the dietitian, and I worked with the pediatrician to say, okay, exactly if he's gaining this much weight and I know I'm giving this much formula, what does that mean in terms of how much breast milk he was getting? And we, I was able to give him well over half of all of the nutrients he needed to grow, how much wow. he was growing in the first six months. Um, oh, and
1: good for that you. was
2: truly rewarding. Um, yes. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, and you were probably dietitian that you are. You were probably looking at his weight gains and oh, yeah. thinking, wow, this is going really well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say in retrospect, I wished I had let go of the monitoring a little bit sooner. He was a very healthy little guy and nice chunky cheeks and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and did really well. Um, I, I felt like I, I could tell his interesting fact is that his diapers, the poop in his diapers would be sort of like there would be this nice, soft, yellow breast milk stool and sort of in the same diaper, uh, a firmer. It, it,
1: his body just kind of segregated the, the stools. Yes. So there, <laughs> there was the other half where the stinky stools that That's were right. rubbery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little firmer, probably a little harder for him to digest as well. So, But um, how great that you were giving him more than half Mm -hmm. of your own milk. Mm -hmm. And were you pumping,
2: Chris? I wasn't pumping. And I I think in retrospect, you know, I I was still working um, just uh, circumstances didn't allow me to take off completely. We did a little tag parenting for those first six months um, where my husband was with him half the time and I was with him the other half. And um, I think okay. in retrospect, if I had been able to just find the time to do that, that that would have helped
1: so that I would have gotten uh, more. Well, you know, my father always said that all of us have twenty-twenty vision with hindsight, <laughs> you know. Right. But um, let me ask you this then. Were you doing hand expression? You mentioned that you had done hand massage prior to the baby's arrival. Mm-hmm. So were you doing some hand expression, even if you weren't using a palm? You know, I never did anything to collect milk. And again, oh, I, yeah, oh.
2: I, I have a, you know, um, regret that I didn't add that to the picture. Um, did so anyone really,
1: suggest that? Did anyone it, suggest all expressing your milk?
2: All, everything was right at the breast,
1: yeah. But no one suggested pumping her hand. Oh, expression. oh, oh!
2: No, I never had a professional that expe- that that um, suggested, suggested
1: that. that. Well, yeah. for those who are listening, who are professionals, I would just say you may take this for granted or think that the mother should just automatically know. But here's Chris, who is very well educated, and trust me, she is smart. She has got uh, <laughs> her education to be both a nurse and a dietitian and did not intuitively know that. And so I think that all of us just really need to make sure that we, uh, and and, you know, there's been so much literature these days about how effective hand expression is. So uh, I'm a real big fan of the idea that people don't necessarily want to do hand expression, but honestly, when you look at the amount of volume and the amount of uh, nutrients that they've been able to get from the the hand-expressed milk as opposed to the pump, it's really pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so tell us, did you bump into some – how did you like using that supplement? Or some women have said to me that they think it's a nuisance. One woman said to me she called it the um, – that that contraption (laughs) how did you feel about that thing
2: you know that the system that i used was a more soft bags rather than um bottles and i Mm -hmm. and i felt that this the softness of the bag was really nice for me i i I, it seemed like it didn't kind of get in the way of what was happening in terms of contraptions a little nicer um Hey, I definitely, when I got to the six-month point, I was at the place where we were going to be moving and in, in, into a very rural situation where um, preparing all of these bags and tubes and everything every night would be much more difficult. Um, and I, I really, at six months, was very fearful that I would not be breastfeeding when I stopped using the system. I I thought, boy, this is gonna be it and I'm glad I had this much time. Well, my son went on to breastfeed for actually several years after that. So I I didn't have to I I wish that I had been able to let go sooner. I would have there are a couple of things that I would suggest for anybody working with somebody who's using a supplemental system and I think adding hands-on, and and when you say hand expression, I think I would have added some compression. Um, I know Jack Newman has some very nice videos of just compressing that breast while baby is at the breast. I would have tried more time of not using the supplemental system. I just was a busy mom, and I wanted to make sure that the feeding was effective and efficient as possible. I think if I had just spent more time skin-to-skin and letting him be at the breast without the system involved, I probably would have been more effective at getting a heftier milk supply. I think that um, the system was, was great, and it was reassuring, but um, maybe if Maybe you, had...
1: you used it too long, maybe? I think I did. I think yeah. I, I should
2: have kept it locked. You know, um, there's there's a way to not yeah, have it mm-hmm. start flowing right away. I wish right. I had. I would have done several things differently. Where I would have just let him be at the breast and 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 try and get that flow going. But I was nervous that he wouldn't like it there. And yeah, I,
1: that's <laughs> What I was just going to say is, my sense is that was kind of your security blanket. Right. That you felt that as long as it was going, then somehow you were covered or safe right. or something. I was providing what he needed, and yeah, right. I think and. I and could. That yeah. goes back to confidence. Now, uh, how about this, Chris? Nobody suggested that you pump or do hand expression. Did anyone suggest the idea of doing donor milk for him?
2: Well, I, I you know. That's what I definitely, knowing what I know now and how I would love to have just kept formula out of the picture completely, um, Uh nobody, no. And, you know, we're talking 18 years ago. I know that there's a great um, donor bank in Denver at this point in time. I don't even know that I knew what was available. I I had heard about a mom that really had been very reliant on donor milk because of her baby's um, health issues and GI issues, but... I felt like that was for really special cases and maybe it wasn't something that I should, you know, access... Um, didn't feel
1: like you were worthy somehow because you had a healthy baby, yes. And for those people who are listening, I should just make sure that I say uh, the baby needs to have a prescription from the doctor. You can't just call up a milk bank and say, you know, send me so many ounces. It's not like going to Amazon.com, you know, for a book. You can't just order it up. But uh, certainly a prescription from a physician, a pediatrician, uh would be excellent in this particular case and there are it, it, the closest milk bank that i know of to you is probably denver although it could be in um san diego that would probably be uh fairly close as well but there are several milk banks throughout the country and in fact there seem to be more milk banks uh almost every time i turn around they seem to be putting up a new one which is really great so i would like to make sure that listeners know that that's an option and it's not necessarily something that they can just instantly have happen, but certainly something that they uh, can pursue. So how long was it? We we got to go to a break fairly quick, but how long do you feel it was before you felt like your breasts were filling after you put him to breast for the first time? Right. You know, a long time has passed, but
2: I I feel like the experience was very different from the first time I breastfed. I don't remember ever having um, a true sort of engorgement situation yes, where, often. you know, rocks on my chest kind of situation. Um, it was certainly, much more subtle. Yes. Like that, I certainly felt that, I, I mean, I saw milk and I knew that there was milk in there and I could do just a little hand expression and see the milk, um, which was reassuring. Um, but I, I, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as, oh, wow, yeah, the, these, the, my breasts felt really full. And, um, yes, this was clearly
1: and, a different experience. Yeah. Chris, we need to go to a break, but please stand by. Everybody else, hold on to your horses. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. I'm here with Chris Jepsen, who breastfed her adopted baby. Don't go away. We'll be right back right after this short break.
3: options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. evidence for your practice starts here visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894
1: have you had a chance to check out voice america's online magazine and blog press pass if you love our hosts and shows check out articles that give an even deeper perspective plus topics about health and fitness movie reviews philosophy business tips and tactics spirituality positive thought current events and even more about your favorite host it's just a click away at vapresspass.com that's vapresspass.com va press pass by voice america all access all the time
0: do you enjoy listening to marie Biancuzo? do you think your staff would enjoy listening to marie As the past president of Baby-Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs. Online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides, with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Chris Jepson, Chris, who is a dietitian, a registered nurse, and the mother of two sons, one of whom is adopted, and she breastfed this adopted baby and has been telling us about, first, that journey of getting the baby, and then, secondly, the First experiences, the first six months or so of putting the baby to breast, some kinds of things that she did. And she was just ending up that last segment, basically telling us that she was reluctant to give up using the nursing supplementer. But in fact, when she did, lo and behold, she found out that she actually was really providing all of the milk by the time the baby was six months old or so. So she got rid of the nursing supplementer and away she went. So Chris, this, and, and by the way, for, for the rest of my listeners, let me just say, I met Chris when she came to my comprehensive course, my comprehensive lactation course, course. And of course, I do a really brief little blip on relactation. And here's this woman who has actually done it. Now, you know, I look back and think, I can't imagine what I had to tell her because clearly I have learned so much from her. And I hope that all of you are learning those things as well. Chris, if you had to name some really key strategies for a mother who was real, who was relactating, or perhaps even having an induced lactation, uh what would those key strategies be and tell us how you used them so
2: i've described um the supplemental system that i used and basically this system that i used was a bag with a very small tube that would transfer the milk it draped over my nipple and it transferred the milk um to my son when he sucked at the breast um and these systems are a couple of different kinds, they have locks on them so that you can keep them locked and the milk doesn't flow until a little further into the feeding, which the way that I know breastfeeding works is babies work to bring that milk down and then once it's kind of flowing, they slow down a little bit. If I had kept that worked a little bit more to keep that system locked a little. I think that I felt too dependent on it needed to be flowing to keep him happy at the breast and worked on that a little bit. So I would say using a supplemental system, having professional support. So, you know, there were lactation consultants that I could have gone to at the time and and maybe helped me to feel more confident in my milk supply. I talked already about the... Early massage and doing more of that, having compression be part of the picture of when my son was at the breast um, doing. Skin to skin, which
1: I talk about that all the time. Tell um, us more about the skin to skin, Chris. Well, really, getting, most people kind of just blow that off. As, it doesn't feel like they're doing anything. So, right, tell us about right. that. Well, I, I mean, I really have been convinced that
2: uh, that that might be the most important piece to um, when a baby isn't latching well um, or yes. in a situation of relactating, just to get everybody feeling like this is where home is. This is where Baby feels the most comforted, and then work on getting baby to the breast, so it really means mom doesn 't have anything so no bra, no shirt that she 's kind of tucked under her chin or pulled down, and baby is down to just the diaper, so you 've got a room that 's warm enough for that all to happen and and no audience you know supportive family members or friends that can help out with things, but um, really feeling okay about just the environment as well. And then just holding baby right up to the chest. It doesn't have to be directed mouth to breast at that first time or first several times. If, if baby's just not seeming to settle well and the feedings have had to happen in some other way, doing that skin-to-skin in between feedings, I think, can help get baby to breast um, in a really beautiful way. So Chris, skin-to-skin how really much means would you... nothing between mom and baby.
1: Yeah, yeah. Chris, how much would you say that you had the baby skin-to-skin skin in the first 72 hours? You know, 10% of the time, 50% of the time? How would right. you describe that?
2: Well, you know, I, I, one thing I hadn't mentioned, and just to correct, the, the situation in in New Mexico is, um, and I, I might not have this completely right, but we had to wait for... Um, our son's birth mom, to sign papers. It ha- the timing was such he was born on a Saturday, and he wasn't sort of released until Wednesday. And uh-huh. the adoption agency we worked with recommended that we did not bring him home because we did have another child at home. And if things didn't go exactly as planned, it would be much more difficult. So they had a right. foster mom that they worked with, that was only for adopted children and that I could go and spend as much time with him at that home as I wanted. So unfortunately in the first four days I was with him all day long, but this foster home, foster mom, I couldn't spend the night. Um, Yeah. It's awkward. Yeah. I didn't get to do a lot of skin to skin because I also didn't feel comfortable in this foster mom situation um, until he was home. Um, But after that I snuggled with him just, As much as possible, I had him with me um, really uh, every opportunity to just be skin to skin and have him sort of get, um, get close to my skin, know what I felt like and know where home was.
1: So, Chris, let me understand that in a more precise term, that if you weren't doing a task, if you weren't making a meal or getting something for your older child or throwing in a load of laundry, you were just snuggling skin to skin with the baby. As much as possible, absolutely. Wow. And what was it, because you've said this several times, about how important that you think that skin-to-skin is. And I will tell you and the audience who is listening that the research absolutely bears out how important that skin-to-skin is. But what I'd be interested in knowing is, 20 years ago... Is that what it was? Eighteen. Oh, uh-huh. Eighteen. Uh-huh. Okay, 18 uh-huh. years ago. You didn't have the knowledge level that you have now, and the world didn't have the knowledge level that it has now. How did you just intuitively know that skin-to-skin was the right thing to do and was somehow making your milk? How did you sort of know that?
2: Gosh. You're right that we didn't talk about it so much no. 18 years ago. No! Um, <laughs> I think it just it 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 felt like the right way to be that i I was comfortable doing that that um I think having had another child and um i i you know I'm a professional in the healthcare field um but I walk in several worlds comfortably, so wouldn't call myself necessarily a hippie mom, but was open to that that touchy-feely, I guess.
1: Kind of back to the earth, yeah. yeah
2: <laughs> that, that culture was comfortable to me, so um, certainly have worked with all kinds of... Um, all cultures and feel like uh, helping women, helping families, having dads hold baby skin to skin, get to that comfort place and and looking at what the barriers are is really where I try to be Um, because not everybody is going to feel
1: comfortable with that right away.
2: Um, So,
1: would it be fair to say that you felt a sort of peacefulness wash over you when the baby was skin to skin? Oh,
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's, it's been a long time, but I think there's all kinds of endorphins that are happening in that process that make you just most
1: definitely. I I say happy
2: hormones. Um, And not having given birth, I think they were still working. They were still helping to just help me feel calm and, and content with having him in my arms.
1: And would you say that when you were skin to skin with the baby, that the baby also had that sort of peaceful, um, I don't know that I can describe it over the radio, but... uh, (sighs) It, it seems to me that when babies are not at peace, they are somehow more active. Their, their bodies are more tense. Their hands and feet are going and so forth. But it seems to me that when they get skin to skin, that they just have this, you know, they're, they're there. They are. The word you used earlier tonight was home. Sure. That, sure. that the baby sort of felt like he was home. Is yeah, that how? Absolutely. Did you, did, did you think that the baby sort of settled down? I, yeah, and I, you know, I can
2: still picture him even though it's been many years now that just the, the, um, soon when he was we, when he was capable of doing a hand-eye-coordinated reach, just caressing my face or gazing up with the uh-huh. one eye. Was <laughs> um, yeah, just just looking in a way that, yeah, this feels good. This is where I want to be. And and he actually was a hummer when he was breastfeeding. He would start to just hum. Oh, <laughs> so funny. In between sucks and, yeah, just to say, I'm happy here. It was nice.
1: You know, it's funny, too, because I taught the same course uh in Chicago that I taught in New Mexico for you mm-hmm. and uh, there was a dietitian uh, as you know it's nurses dietitians and okay. lactation consultants okay. and massage therapists and everybody else's childbirth educators and so forth but this one woman was a, a, a dietitian and I distinctly remember that she was saying to me and the mother was in the WIC clinic and I saw that baby look up at her as though she had hung the moon <laughs> and I just <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard anybody describe that the baby looking up at its mother as though she had hung, hung the moon, the moon. <laughs> yeah. but. I- when- When Danielle said that, I just, I thought, that just totally takes it. And how do you duplicate that with formula feeding? You know, you just don't. Right, right. How many times a day would you say you were nursing him in the first six months? Well, no, how about just the first month? Yeah,
2: no, um, I did take off work for at least six weeks. um, And then he was with me initially as well. But um, every feeding was at the breast, so... You know, by, I would say at least eight times in the 24-hour period, but more frequently than that, for sure. So,
1: Were you waking at night also? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. No, all, every feeding that I could do. I, I, while I was at home, before I went back to work, every feeding was at the breast. We didn't do any feeding.
1: Did you home. have to set your alarm clock at night? No, no. He, yeah, no. he, he woke up. Yep. He, <laughs> okay, so you kept him in close proximity to you. Yes. Absolutely. Because see what I'm thinking is you didn't have that super duper over full breast feeling. So right. right. Yeah, you yeah, pretty much the baby had to give you the cue. Whoa, I've been talking too long. We've got to go to a break. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here with Chris Jepson. We'll be right back right after this short break.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook,
4: owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with my very special guest, Chris Jepson, who is a registered nurse and a registered dietitian, and she is the uh, mother of a breastfed adopted baby. Just before we went to break this time, Chris was telling us about the frequency of breastfeedings that she had in the first few days or few weeks. She was including the fact that she was doing night feedings and she really emphasized to us how uh, throughout the last three segments, I think Chris has really emphasized that skin-to-skin contact is such an enormously important part of the ability to make milk. And we know that from what we know physiologically. And I didn't really expound upon that, but basically what she means is that the mother's body creates the kinds of hormones to produce milk when she has this contact with her baby, even if the baby is not actually suckling the fact that she's got the baby naked or nearly naked baby can have a diaper on or something. Uh, but that really contributes to not only the hormones that she makes in her head. Okay. Not just the uh, prolactin and the, uh, Oxytocin, all those, those are certainly important, but also those gut hormones, things like cholecystokinin, things uh, that are really important for that uh, that whole experience. It's, I, I want to say milk making. It's really not milk making so much as that is reciprocal uh, milk taking, receiving, and and milk making, milk transfer. It is an absolutely reciprocal process. So, Chris, as we come to the close for this show, and it always goes by way too fast, tell us, if you had it to do over again, would you nurse your adopted baby? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, she's so sure. And have you helped other mothers who have come into um, your professional life, I had, you know, have you, have you had people who have come and said, look, it, I really want to breastfeed this adopted baby. Can you help? Have you had that experience? Yes, absolutely. I, You know, uh-huh. people find me
2: different ways. So um, I've had referrals that I've talked to people on the phone and um, also in the small community that I live in in New Mexico, um, been able to support moms.
1: And what do you think is the one thing that you have Been most successful. I don't know if successful is the right word. uh, How do you feel that you have been especially able to help those mothers?
2: I think sharing the story of how important it was to me to relactate um, really motivates other mothers to think wow, if this was so important to her that she did this with an adopted child. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to it a little bit longer. So I, yes. I don't always share that story, but but I think when I do, that it's um, it is a motivating.
1: Well, story. it makes people feel that if it was a reality for you, there's the possibility that it could be a re- reality for them. Absolutely, it That's makes it feel like an achievable goal. Sure. Yep. I do worry, though, Chris, that sometimes you see mothers who I can think of one mother in my past that she was getting an adopted baby. They didn't know when the baby was going to come. She really didn't have much preparation, even less than you did. And then the baby had a craniofacial defect. And, oh, you know, Uh, so I I don't like mothers to think that they're always going to be able to fully relactate or exclusively breastfeed. I don't think that's a realistic solution. But as a nurse, how can I, what could I do that would prepare the mother for the idea that exclusive breastfeeding might not be a reality, but to empower her to go ahead and do it anyway? Can you help me with how I can um, interact with that woman in a positive way, but also in a realistic way? I think I would say that any drop of breast milk, any (laughs) <laughs> any, any, any drop that that baby
2: gets will be beneficial and that even if there is no breast milk transfer, that holding baby skin to skin, that contact with mom, that there are so many benefits to that. So to, to really sort of encourage her to go beyond um, maybe what she's thinking but also to know that whatever she attempts will, will have been enough.
1: Yes that it is the attempt that is successful, not necessarily the results. And and we don't want it to be a negative part of
2: their relationship. So if we can stick with starting with
1: skin to skin, boy, babies can be pretty sneaky and find their ways to the breast. (laughs) Not (laughs) (laughs) I just worry sometimes that people get so hung up on volume and numbers. Mm -hmm. And even in telling your story, I could tell that you were a little hung up on... Absolutely. Yeah, the volume and the numbers, and I don't want people to feel as though they're a failure if they don't have enough milk to feed the neighborhood. That right. That's not a failure, <laughs> you know? But um, I, I guess what you're helping me here to see is that whatever happens is the success, the relationship, the bonding, there's just no... There's no substitute for that. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you who might be just hearing the end of this program, you certainly can... Hit the rewind button here and hear the whole thing. I've been here today with Chris Jepson, who is a registered nurse and a registered dietitian, and she has very successfully breastfed an adopted baby. She, and by the way, I should add, she also had to return to paid employment at about six weeks, and she was able to do all of that and have a wonderful. Uh, outcome for both herself and her baby. I'd like to thank Chris for joining us today and I would like to thank all of you. It's been great to be here. The, mother, the hour has gone by way too fast and I so much enjoyed talking with Chris. But that's all the time we have. Thank you, Marie. Uh, oh, thank you for coming. everyone else please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up next week and in the meanwhile remember i'm your source for evidence-based practice on the web and sometimes in your city uh join us next monday same time same channel i'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts and in the meanwhile remember your baby was born to be breastfed have a great week